This is FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. Rutherford County's Place the Talk. Stand by, Rutherford County. The WGNS Action Line continues a search for truth. Good morning. Welcome into the Action Line from WGNS this morning. We're going to be visiting with local attorney John Day, and he's here to help us uh, sort of go through the courts and better understand what is happening. John, first of all, good morning to you. Good morning to you, sir. Great to have you with us. Spring is in the air. It is beautiful outside, uh, and it looks like the next week is going to be great as well, doesn't it? Very definitely. Temperatures will sort of remain in the 60s and 70s. It's perfect as far as I'm concerned. I love this weather. Starting to see the daffodils and things of that sort blooming. And some not right this minute, but we've had a good amount of sunshine too. That's right. It's just it's like I said. This has been this is my favorite time of year. <laughs> Mine too. Well, very much in the news today is the controversy uh, surrounding one of uh, our chancellors in the area. Uh, sort of set the stage for that, and, and uh, give us some thoughts on that. Well, let's start with what the controversy. Uh, is and then go back to understand some more fundamentals about how the system works. Uh, When COVID first hit our communities uh, a little over one year ago, the Tennessee Secretary of State had to make a decision about whether elections should be conducted in the same way for August of 2020 and November of 2020, as they had been historically. And what the Tennessee Secretary of State decided was that certain provisions would be made to make it easier for people to vote. That is, they could use an absentee ballot by mail if they actually had contracted um, COVID-19 and, uh, or were a caregiver of a person who had it. Other people in the community uh, thought that the Tennessee Secretary of State did not go far enough. Uh, They thought that people were highly susceptible to contracting COVID-19. And in fact, all persons who were afraid of getting COVID-19 should be able to cast a vote by mail. So those people in two different lawsuits filed a lawsuit. it's seeking to require the Tennessee Secretary of State to allow mail-in voting for all Tennesseans for the August and November elections. Chancellor Ellen Lyle in Nashville determined that the Secretary of State should do so. The uh, case was considered by the Supreme Court of Tennessee in August, and it decided that most of what Chancellor Lyle concluded was correct, but they disagreed with the notion that people could uh, avoid in-person voting and insist upon an absentee ballot simply because they were afraid of catching the coronavirus virus while voting in person. So the rule 
of the Tennessee Secretary of State, which quite frankly was modified during the litigation, should be upheld and Chancellor Lyle's decision should be overruled concerning broad-based absentee ballot uh, voting. This week, the legislature considered a resolution to condemn Chancellor Lyle for her conduct in that case. It was defeated on Tuesday. And I think what we see here is a not infrequent clash of the role of the judiciary in modern-day American politics. And what I'd like to do uh, is discuss just a little bit about what judges do and what the framework is that under which they do it as part of our democratic society. Yeah, that would be very interesting to, to learn about that. And also, what kind of implications the rulings that we're seeing uh, with Chancellor Lyle will have on future issues similar to this. Well, and I'm happy to talk about all those. Let's talk about what judges do, and let's just limit ourselves to the state court system. Uh, There are different levels of courts. The lowest level court, but not an unimportant court, is the General Sessions Court. The next levels of court are the Chancery Courts and Circuit Courts, which are trial courts. And then there is an appellate court, the Court of Appeals. In fact, there are two of them, one for criminal appeals and one for civil appeals. And then there is the Tennessee Supreme Court. The jobs that those judges perform are vastly different from bottom to top. So let's start with the the lowest level of the judiciary, the General Sessions Court. In General Sessions Court, most of what the judges do is apply known law to facts. Uh, There are legal disputes. By that I mean there are issues of law where people can't quite agree on what the law is that appear in General Sessions courts every day. But most of what Judge Eyscheid and the other General Sessions judges do in this community is apply known law to questions of fact or when there are no facts that are in dispute. That's what they do. The next level up, the the circuit courts and the chancery courts find more often, but not frequently, there are questions of law. What is the law? Now, people are out there looking at their radio and saying, John Day doesn't know what he's talking about. How can there be questions about what law means? We've got thousands of laws on the books. We've got hundreds of thousands of court opinions. How is it that judges and lawyers can't agree on what the law is? And the fact of the matter is, judges and lawyers can't agree on what the law is, is is because the law is written in English. And English is not a perfect language. In math, two plus two is always four. But when you use the English language to describe ideas, reasonable people can disagree on what words mean. And so the judges in that level court, the circuit court and the chancery court, face more often, but not very often, disagreements, well-minded, well-reasoned, good-faith disagreements about what the law actually is. 
So Chancellor Lyle was in that position in this case. And I'll get to that in more detail in a moment. But there is genuine disputes about what the law really is. In the Court of Appeals, many of the decisions that they're involved in involve questions of law. A small percentage of cases that are decided in the state actually get to the Court of Appeals. But the cases that do get there many times involve a question of what is the law? How do we reconcile the parties, the different people who are involved in the controversy, how do we reconcile their different views of the law? The judge, the trial judge, the circuit court judge or the chancellor has made a decision, was he right or wrong? So what the Court of Appeals does basically is judge the papers of the trial court, just like school. They judge their papers. When the Court of Appeals makes a decision that the trial judge was wrong, that does not mean that he or she is stupid. That does not mean they are corrupt. It does not mean they are incompetent. What it means is that under the, that case, they made a decision that was inconsistent with what the law is. And many times that involves questions where there is a little legitimate dispute with what the law is, and those judges have to make a decision about which one is right. Let me use a person well known to you as an example. Okay. Um, and I know uh, Judge Ash, Don Ash from this community, uh, he listens to the show. Maybe he's listening today. But Judge Ash served for many, many years in this community, was elected and reelected to the bench many times, and now has been selected by the Tennessee Supreme Court to handle some of the most difficult cases in the state. Uh, I believe, unless the case has been uh, moved, uh, that next week uh, he'll be going to Lake County, Tennessee, which is as far away in Tennessee as you can get from right here, to handle a death penalty case. Very, very high stress, complicated case. I guarantee you that Judge Ash has been re reversed on appeal. In other words, a appellate court has said that he did not decide a case directly. Does that mean he was incompetent? No, of course not. What it means is that reasonable minds among the lawyers differed. Maybe there was no law directly on point, and the decision he made was looked at differently by somebody else. Did Judge Ash necessarily agree with the decision made by the appellate court that said that he was wrong and he was reversed? Probably not. Probably not, because he used his best efforts to figure out what the answer should be, and somebody else disagreed with him. Did he accept that that's what the law was once the Court of Appeals said that's the law? Yes, of course he did, because he respects the rule of law, and that's the way the system is designed is that judges at different levels make decisions in good faith using the resources and the gifts and talents that they have and sometimes despite their best efforts somebody else disagrees with them they're wrong in the sense that somebody disagrees it's not a moral thing <laughs> it's not an ethical thing 
it is a legitimate good faith disagreement. The Court of Appeals papers are graded by the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court gets about a thousand requests a year to grade the Court of Appeals papers. It takes about 70. Almost always when the Tennessee Supreme Court decides to review a case, there's going to be a different outcome than there was in the lower court. Does that mean that all the judges who made the, the earlier decision are wrong? No. What it means is that the system is working. That is, we have judges at each level of the court system doing their job, listening to the arguments made by the lawyers, reading the law themselves, listening to the facts, making decisions, and then somewhere up the stream, people disagree with that. I submit that that's the way civilized society uh, from the justice standpoint should work. Somebody's got to be, in George W. Bush's words, the decider. Somebody's got to have the ultimate authority. And under our constitutional structure, that decision uh, on what laws mean is left to the uh, courts. So what happened with regard to Chancellor Lyle was there was a legitimate dispute over how our court system, or how the, the um, elections should be run in an age of a pandemic, the likes of which we have not faced in over 100 years. It is, um, it is reasonable to assume, I think, that the legislature, when it passed the voting laws, wasn't thinking of a global pandemic. Um, the Secretary of State's office, which is a, that's an appointed position, had the right to implement e the election laws of the state, and even it did not follow the exact words of the legislature in determining who could vote by absentee ballot. It decided, now I'll tell you exactly what the words say. There's a long list of people who can vote by absentee ballot, but what the legislature actually said that's important here is that people who are hospitalized, ill, or physically disabled because of such condition is unable to appear at a, uh, the ballot place, the voting, the polling place. Okay. Many people who have COVID-19 um, can, could have appeared at a voting place, but the legislature, I mean, the, the Secretary of State determined on his own that we should not, uh, people who had COVID-19 did not, could, could vote by uh, absentee ballot. That is, they could vote by mail. Now, they're certainly not hospitalized if they're able to walk in there. They may be ill, but they still were able to appear. My brother had COVID-19, for example. He said, I've had worse hangovers. He was one of the lucky ones. He was not adversely affected to the extent that it was disabling to him. But what the Secretary of State said, and I think wisely, was... If you've got it, or if you are a caretaker of a person who has it, you may, may uh, vote by mail. 
that decision in and of itself is inconsistent with the strict language of the statute because the statute itself is drafted very narrowly. So the dispute came, as I said before, lots of people wanted to uh, the right, the perfect right to vote by mail so they wouldn't be impacted um, uh, or take the risk of contracting uh, COVID-19 at a voting place. The judge heard from five or six different medical experts who said they could not reasonably, the voting places could not be made reasonably safe for people to attend. That's what the experts that she heard. Let me ask you this, since Judge Lyle is a Metro Nashville trial court judge at Chancery Court, uh, did her ruling affect only Metro Nashville or did it cover the entire state? It's a great question. Uh, it covered the entire state for this reason. Because Nashville is the seat of state government, lawsuits filed against state officials often end up in the Chancery Court for Davidson County, Tennessee. And therefore, the chancellors in Davidson County hear cases that have statewide implications every single day much more so than any other chancellors in the entire state. Every chancellor and every judge potentially has the right to, or has the opportunity to hear cases that are gonna impact many more people than just the litigants themselves. The Chancery Court of Davidson County is, I'm gonna call it a super court. <laughs> it hears cases that have statewide implications simply because Nashville is the seat of state government. So yes, her decision impacted every single um, uh, polling place in the state of Tennessee for the August and, and potentially the November election. So is this the job now of the General Assembly, which is in session, to clarify that legislation to, to, to make it where it is uh, better used, uh, a little clearer. Yeah, the, the, the legislature has the power to pass legislation that impacts the circumstances under which people can vote. But we have here an interesting clash or potential clash between what the Constitution says about the right to vote and what the legislature says how votes can be conducted. Let me give you an example. There is no doubt that the legislature has the power to say we are not going to have any polling places whatsoever. Everybody is going to vote by mail. And we're going to have a system to make that as safe as we reasonably can. We're going to follow the Oregon model. We're going to follow the Colorado model. That's the way we're going to do it. No more voting in person. They have the legal right to do that. Because that is consistent with the Constitution that people are encouraged to and have a right to vote. The legislature could not, in my opinion, subject to what the Tennessee Supreme Court would say, right? Because John Day is not on the Tennessee Supreme Court and won't be. The legislature could, legislature could not say the polls are going to be open for in-person voting only on election day between 9 a.m. and 2 p.m. And if you're in line at 2 p.m., you can stay, but they're closed at 2. Because I think 
all reasonable people would agree, that would be unreasonable restriction on the right of voting. What would you do about people who are in nursing homes, in assisted living centers, who travel, who are in the military, etc.? Those people would effectively be deprived of the right to vote. So we have the broadest of spectrums right there, right? What the legislature can properly do is somewhere in, <laughs> in the middle. <laughs> and, then, and the question is, who's going to decide whether the, what the legislature passes is appropriate or not consistent with the Constitution? And the, the American people have said since 1980, uh, 1787, that's the job for the judiciary. Tell you what let's do. Let's check on the traffic and weather, and we will continue this topic, which does impact all of us. Stay with us. And if you uh, have a thought, text it to us. Don't, don't call us today. I think, uh, I think we need to focus on the topic a little bit. So if you have a thought that you want to share, text it to 615-893-1450. 615-893-1450. We are talking about Judge Lyle in the Chancery Court, Part 3 of Metro Nashville, and her rulings dealing with the COVID-19 and uh, also the uh, voting by mail. We'll be right back. Turn your fingers into a microphone and talk back. WGNSRadio.com is Rutherford County's online source for what matters to you. WGNSRadio.com. If you could use a little more tranquility in your life, and let's be honest, after the last year we all could, then consider a home aquarium. Multiple studies have shown that aquariums reduce stress, elevate mood, and lower blood pressure. Here at Animal City, we have all the supplies and knowledge needed to create your own aquatic oasis. This is Amanda at Animal City, inviting your family to come do business with my family. We are happy to put our 30 years of pet experience to work for you. 919 Northwest Broad Street. Hi, this is Peter Demas with Demas's Restaurants. We have a club steak, and the club steak can be cooked to any flavor that you want. It is the club steak. It's a seven-ounce piece of steak, and we named it that way because it looks like and it has the shape of a golf club. We have a low-calorie menu and a low-carb menu. So depending on whatever diet that you like, we have options for you that are available at Demas's. Please have your family join our family for lunch or dinner seven days a week at Demas's. I mean, judges got to be able to Good morning. We still see quite a bit of traffic volume here coming out of Coffee County in and through Rutherford County. Traffic's been in pretty good shape as far as interstate accidents out here. We have seen tons of radar this morning slow it down. You never know when you might need them. Free at last bell bonds serving Davidson, Williamson, and especially Rutherford County. I'm Commander Chuck with your on-time traffic. Partial sunshine develops here this afternoon. We'll see high in the upper 70s. Winds out of the southwest at 10 to 15 miles per hour, gusting as high as 25. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 60. In retirement, it's all about income. Your money, making money. Learn how it's done with Retirement Income Solutions Radio with Nathan Cox and Lindsay Cotter. Saturdays at noon and Sunday afternoons at 1. Family Staffing Solutions is proud of our local veterans. I'm Becky Bookner, and as life challenges appear, talk with Family Staffing Solutions about how we can help you stay at home. Call Family Staffing Solutions. Family Staffing Solutions. 
WGNS proudly salutes and remembers our U.S. veterans who have served our country. In this salute, we talk to a World War II veteran. Now, I flew 19 missions. I was on our 20th mission, but I didn't finish the 20th one. Dr. Charles Edwin Howard, a World War II veteran. On the 28th of November, we went to Duisburg, Germany. We went to Kassel, Germany on the 29th, but we didn't go on the 30th. Then on the 31st, we went to Berlin. Now, this was the first time we had fighters escort us. They didn't have a fighter that could carry enough guns to go all the way to Berlin, but we didn't get there. We were diverted to uh, Dalton, spent the night there. Then the next day, we came back from Dalton. Then the next mission we flew on a Sunday to uh, Munich. Then we flew to Leipzig, Germany. We went to Nuremberg. It was a hard one. Nuremberg was a very difficult one. We really got shot up in Nuremberg. One plane came in. I mean, he was on our left wing. We were not to the initial point. That's where you start your bomb run. And uh, fighters come in just before you get to that. Quite often, planes, you know, would hit. And I tell you the truth, I was more afraid of that than I was machine guns or flak. Dr. Charles Edwin Howard, a World War II veteran. This has been a Salute to Veterans on WGNS Radio. Have you experienced the nightmare of water, mold, or fire damage? Call Restoration One for a free estimate. Veteran and locally owned, fast and available 24-7. Restoration One offers preventative maintenance so that you never have to experience a loss like this again. Restoration One, the water damage experts. You can make a meaningful difference in 2021. KidLink Community Services is currently seeking foster parents in your area. KidLink provides free training and certification. Contact KidLink today at 877-714-1313 or kidlinkservices.com. This is Chip Walters, and you're listening to Rutherford County's Blue Raider Station. Yeah, we got them. MTSU Sports on WGNS AM, FM, online. We are back discussing issues that do impact us all. Local attorney John Day is with us this morning. And if you have a thought you'd like to share with us, if you have a question dealing with our issue today, text it to us if you wouldn't mind. 615-893-1450. 615-893-1450. We're looking at the case with Metro Nashville Judge, uh, Chancellor Judge, uh, Ellen Hobbs Lyle, who made a ruling dealing with COVID-19 about absentee voting. Uh, tell us uh, wh- what you think is, obviously the decision is, is, is made, but how do we stand as far as the public goes? Is, is this going to be clarified uh, anytime soon so that if we um, hopefully we don't have a pandemic again next year but uh, other things can come up and we need to have legislation that uh, addresses all of those well what is uh, what happened was her ruling was in effect for purposes of the primary election that took place in august because it, the supreme court heard the case too late to change the rules before the uh, primary election. They did uh, go back to the traditional method of conducting absentee voting for the presidential election and other elections in November with a couple changes. The Tennessee Secretary of State agreed 
that people who had COVID-19 or were caretakers for people who had COVID-19 should be permitted to vote by absentee. And the state also conceded after uh, the case was before the Tennessee Supreme Court that people who were especially susceptible to getting COVID-19, the high-risk people. So the, legislation, uh, the, the, the decision by Chancellor Lyle did help expand the opportunity for people to vote by mail who otherwise wouldn't be permitted to vote. Uh, but it was narrow, ended up being a narrower group of people who could vote by mail than she contemplated and she thought the law should be. Now, I remember here in Rutherford County, we had a a record number of people who voted uh, and a record number who voted by mail, which took a little extra time to count the votes and things of that sort. But it was a record number. A lot of people have said this was uh, to show their feelings on the candidates. Well, it was pretty much uh, an even number on both sides. So I think it was probably showing that the public likes that opportunity to uh, to choose to vote by mail if they wish. Well, it's, it's, you know, there's some degree of controversy about whether voting by mail is secure. As the Tennessee Supreme Court said in, in this particular case, there is uh, the Tennessee system for the absentee voting is very secure and very uh, oriented to try to prevent any possible fraud uh, that uh, that could that might occur in uh, vote, voting by mail gener- uh, generally. So yeah, I think most people would prefer the. Not all, but most people would like to make voting as convenient for people as possible, and more people will vote if it's easier to do so. That has to be balanced with the risk of fraud, and and that that's something that General Assembly needs to look at uh, on an ongoing basis. Now, here locally, our state representative Tim Rudd was very much involved in that. Tell us a little about that. Well, he was the sponsor of the resolution that um, that took issue with the way uh, Chancellor Lyle decided this case, and he was joined by uh, about 60 other members of the Tennessee House of Representatives in that effort. Uh, so what what happened was. He introduced, along with all these other people, a resolution to condemn her actions and basically to impeach her, uh, remove her from office. Under the rules of the General Assembly, that had to go to a committee for a decision. The committee vote was this last Tuesday, and the committee decided that the resolution should not proceed, and therefore the resolution died. And so it's, this is just it's, a moot point. It's a time. moot point right now. What about uh, future issues? I mean, we heard this morning a conversation on this station uh, about the fact that we seem to have a pandemic uh, every 100 years or so. Uh, you can't be ready for everything. You can't have everything written out in laws to cover everything. But do you think that this law needs to be clarified still more? I think every law needs to be clarified. I mean, because, and this goes back to what I said at the very beginning, Bart, we have laws written in English 
and there's a lot of ambiguity in the English language. I mean, it's just a fact. So almost every law can be written better than it is. Our voting rights law has a few issues in it, but the bigger issues that are going to be left to be determined over the coming years is to what extent are we going to permit mail-in voting? To what extent are we going to permit absent, I mean, um, early voting? What are the voting hours are going to be? How many polling places are there going to be? All of these things are public policy determinations that need to be made by the General Assembly. That's what legislators are elected to do. The job of the courts is, if asked by some citizen, do, do the uh, laws passed by the General Assembly pass constitutional muster? In this case, do they adequately protect the right to vote? And that's the role of the courts. And that's the point I'd like to leave people thinking about. Somebody has to make a decision about whether the laws passed by the General Assembly are consistent with the Constitution. That is not, we can't let the General Assembly or the governor be the sole determination of that. It's got to be somebody else. And the way it's set up in our country, and has been for over 200 years, is that the courts make that decision. When the courts make that decision, there is always two responses. Some people say the courts did a great job. And other people say, the people who lost say, the courts are rewriting the laws. That is almost always an incorrect analysis. The courts are interpreting the laws. You and I may disagree in good faith about whether they interpret them correctly, but they're merely fulfilling their constitutional responsibility to interpret the law. That's what they do. And since we're using the English language, that interpretation is very fluid, I guess. Well, it is. I mean, b b believe it or not, and this you're, you're going to be shocked when I tell you this, but it is a fact. There is a book called Sutherland's Law of Statutory Construction. Sutherland's Law of Statutory Construction. It costs over $3,000 to buy that book. It purports to gather the law of the United States on how to interpret statutes. Okay? That, I mean, $3,000 for one book. In this case, the case involving Chancellor Lyle, the Tennessee courts have not yet determined how we figure out the constitutional challenges to voting laws. Believe it or not, there is no law on Tennessee in that. Now, you're, you're going to look at me and say, John, are you nuts? The Tennessee Supreme Court says it in the opinion. I've read it. And in fact, they still didn't decide it in this case because they didn't have to to reach the result. And courts don't make decisions about things that they don't have to make decisions about because they're called advisory opinions. They don't do it. So believe it or not, even after all this controversy, over, over 35 lawyers participated in this case, okay? After all that, we still don't know the test for determining a challenge to a voting lawsuit. And that's because the 
it's just the process of law. It's it's complicated and reasonable people can differ about how to best do it. Here's a text from a listener and they're saying uh, it makes sense what you're saying about the courts determining uh, the direction that we go. Uh, but how do we do that? How is that done? Because that also is the job of the General Assembly. The, the, the way we do it is the, the exact same way that the founders of this country decided we should do it. We recognize that there are three different separate bodies of government. There is the legislature, there is the executive branch, and there is the judiciary. And there will always be clashes there. <laughs> And we just become the adult in the room and recognize that there have been and always will be clashes about how to best do that. And the best way to solve that problem is to elect responsible people to the legislature, to elect responsive people to the, the chief executive position, whether it be governor or president, and responsible people as judges. That's how the system works. But it will never, ever be perfect. There will always be clashes. Well, then would it be the Tennessee Supreme Court who would be looking at a solution to this issue that we're talking about this morning? Well, this particular issue has been resolved. Other issues... Well, it hasn't really been resolved, has it? It's just been sort of pushed aside. Well, the issue concerning the last election has been resolved. It would be the job of the Tennessee legislature to address uh, the issue of how do we uh, ensure the right to vote in the case in the cases involving uh, the spread of uh, in the cases involving a pandemic, where there are people who are legitimately concerned about it being exposed to a deadly virus if they go to a poll and vote. Should we open the doors to them and let them vote by mail, or should we not? The Tennessee Supreme Court has said that the legislature does not have to open the doors under those circumstances. That they can, they can say the mere fact that you are afraid of contracting a disease is not good enough for you to insist that you have the right to vote by mail. So that, that decision has been made and is binding. But going forward, should that continue to be the rule? If we had a different General Assembly, that a General Assembly could make a new rule that said, as I, the hypothetical I gave you earlier, everybody can vote by mail. They would have the perfect right to do that. No question about it. It's just a question of whether they want to do that or not. I think the election system itself is going through some big changes right now. And in particular, Rutherford County was a pilot program in a, a way to, to handle elections. It worked extremely well. We've done it now for the past several elections where we don't go to special precincts and vote. We can go to any voting location uh, in the entire county. Uh, whatever is closest to us. And that's for early voting through election day. I believe that other counties, now that this has proven that it is workable and very popular, other counties have the opportunity to go that route too. Is this sort of introducing a, a, a new way of doing things? And with these thoughts that uh, Judge Lyle was talking about, should they be included? 
And who makes that decision? The, the General Assembly, the legislature, ultimately makes the decision about how voting will be conducted. They delegate part of that responsibility to the Secretary of State's office. And they do do pilot projects like they've done here as a test. You know, how do we balance the interest of running an efficient election that we can afford to conduct uh, and give people reasonable access to voting by still making sure that it's secure? And so experiments are good. And the, I, I applaud the, uh, the notion of trying to make it easier for people to vote. It's, it's a little crazy when you think about it. I live in a district in the far corner of the county, but I go to work every single day in the opposite corner of the county. It would be easier for me to be able to vote near my workplace, right? And who should care? Well, to the extent that the election system can support that, then it should be adopted. But the way to do that is to, to test it first and see if it works. We're talking today about some of the rulings that are going on, and in particular, the one with Chancery Judge Ellen Hobbs Lyle in Metro Nashville. We will continue our final segments coming up right now. Stay with us. I'm Ken Coleman. Join me here on News Radio WGNS, weekdays live at noon, as we answer your questions about your calling, passion, and talent to maximize your potential. Hi, this is Tina Fox at the Rutherford Farmers Co-op. Please come see us for all your clothing, footwear, and if you need a special gift for anything, please come and see us for all those needs. And, of course, we always have whatever you need for your home, lawn, or garden at Rutherford Farmers Co-op. And farmers, we have whatever you need to take care of your farm. Please come see us at Rutherford Farmers Co-op. Hi, this is Tina Fox of the Co-op Farm and Home Center at 985 Middle Tennessee Boulevard, just off of South Church. Old friends, new name, better together, as First National Bank of Murfreesboro transforms into Capstar Bank, our focus is on you. We're entering a new generation of banking in Rutherford County, but we'll always remain a community bank with local people you trust and uniquely exceptional service you deserve. We're at 2230 Mercury Boulevard, capstar.com. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. Partial sunshine develops here this afternoon. We'll see high in the upper 70s. Winds out of the southwest at 10 to 15 miles per hour, gusting as high as 25. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 60. Good morning. We still see quite a bit of traffic volume here coming out of Coffee County in and through Rutherford County. Traffic's been in pretty good shape as far as interstate accidents out here. We have seen tons of radar this morning slow it down. You never know when you might need them. Free at last bell bonds serving Davidson, Williamson, and especially Rutherford County. I'm Commander Chuck when you're on time traffic. This is Sean Brown at Tire World on Broad Street. Did you know we specialize in commercial and fleet business? We're equipped to handle all of your company's automotive needs. Download our Tire World app today for free oil changes and electronic coupons. Come by today for all of your automotive needs. Online at tireworld.us. We're all about saving you money. I'm Dave Ramsey on WGNS, Rutherford County's place to talk. We taste from 1 to 4 on WGNS. Welcome back. We are learning some very important information today. Local attorney John Day is with us, and he's here to help us all today. 
We're broadcasting from the Willow Window Broadcast Center. Willow Window making your home beautiful again with replacement windows, doors, and decks. Online, check it out, willowwindow.pro. We're talking about legislation and making sure that legislation applies and is interpreted properly, uh, which is, that's the big thing. As uh, Attorney John Day had said, one of our big things is uh, we're using the English language, uh, (laughs) which I guess you can change that around, interpret it in any way you wish. Uh, When we have legislation that gets on the books, when it's put on, it means something to somebody. But if it stays on the books for a long time, uh, I would guess it gets old after a while and doesn't pertain to anything, uh, which muddies the water. Uh, again, using the English language and interpretation. Uh, do we ever clean up our books of legislation, get rid of some of the old ones? We do. Uh, every once in a while, somebody will uh, announce, some legislator will announce, we're going to start getting rid of old laws that don't make any sense anymore, and they will repeal this law or that law. Uh, but when that effort begins, there's usually some sort of pushback on it because somebody realizes, well, that law was passed for a reason, and what happens if, and then they'll come up with a hypothetical situation where that law still might make more sense. So laws are repealed, but many times when a law is repealed, it is rewritten in toto. That is, it is completely rewritten or it is modified to use more modern day language. As I told you off the air, Bart, I have written several statutes that are on the books in Tennessee. Uh, I, they are, it is extremely hard to write a law that applies to all of the situations that you want it to apply to. And the reason that's true is because none of us have perfect foresight. And once again, we're dealing with English, so we're going to make mistakes. I have made mistakes in every law that I have helped draft because I didn't have perfect foresight or I used the wrong series of words together and I get paid I mean words is how I make my money right (laughs) that's how I live (laughs) and I still made mistakes so it's it's always going to happen that's why we need a judiciary to help us interpret those words and try to divine legislative intent let's take a quick phone call good morning you're on with John Day uh yeah the lady you're talking about Yes, uh-huh. That's not the only controversial decision she made. She ruled against the Save Our Fairgrounds people and gave the soccer club the right to take the fairgrounds over. She seems to be a person that the Democratic people run to all the time when they have a problem. I'll, think, I'll hang up and listen. Okay, thank you for calling. Well, two points on that. Uh, it is true that Chancellor Lyle hears some of the most controversial and impactful cases in the entire state because, as I indicated before, Bart, that court gets assigned the very, very most difficult cases uh, and impactful cases in the whole state. Number two, no particular party gets to pick who the judge is. 
judges are assigned by random case. So you literally, when a lawsuit is filed, there is a mechanical way of assigning judges so that you don't get to pick your judge. So while it may be for, for believed that a, a lawyer or a person filing a lawsuit can pick his or a judge, it just can't happen that way under our system uh, in Nashville or in Rutherford County or anywhere else unless you only have one judge in the county. I think this gives us a, a good opportunity to sort of have a working knowledge now of how our court systems work. It's a, it's sort of an ongoing thing, and uh, I guess everybody ought to become a lawyer to understand that more fully. But uh, if you're not a lawyer and you need some consultation, John Day is here for you. John, how can they contact you? Well, you can uh, reach out to us. Uh, we're available on the web, and quite frankly, that's the best way to fully understand who we are and what we do. Our, our work is personal injury and wrongful death law, and our website is johndaylegal.com. So uh, please reach out. John Day, our guest this morning, as we talked about a very important issue dealing with Metro Trial Judge Chancellor Ellen Hobbs-Lyle. John, thank you for joining us.